Poland joins NATO. Has Russia's strategy failed? You are listening to the podcast Explain Ukraine. Finland has officially joined NATO, which is further proof that the results of Russia's foreign policy are contrary to its strategic goals. Russia has drafted a new foreign policy doctrine in which it claims to be a state civilization, in line with the worst far-right Eurasianist ideas. My name is Volodymyr Yermolenko, I'm a Ukrainian philosopher and journalist, chief editor of Ukraine World, a website in English about Ukraine. This is our series Around Ukraine, in which we analyze the international context of Ukrainian developments and Russia's invasion of Ukraine. My guest is Ukraine World analyst Maxim Panchenko. Explaining Ukraine is a podcast by Ukraine World, a website in English about Ukraine. You can support us at patreon.com slash ukraineworld. You can also support our volunteer humanitarian trips to the frontline areas at paypal, ukraine.resisting.gmail.com. Maxim, Sam, thanks so much for joining this podcast. So let's analyze the major uh, geopolitical, international, foreign policy developments around Ukraine. Um, so let's let's discuss it. What are the topics you suggest to discuss today? So you have already outlined the first two major topics. It's the uh, it's Finland joining NATO uh, yesterday, and of course uh, we're going to speak about the new foreign policy concept of Russia. We're going to speak about uh, Xi Jinping's. Uh, recent belligerent rhetoric and the European attempts to negotiate with China around Ukraine. And finally, we're going to touch upon Russia's chairmanship in the UN Security Council and why that needs to be discussed and revised. Right. So let's let's start with the, the major event. Uh, according to may, many, many estimations, our estimations, Finland has joined NATO. And this is, of course, a big, a big change if you look at it and, and the way how Russians reacted to it. And uh, Mr. Peskov, the uh, Putin's uh, spokesperson, e- explaining that it is not the same as Ukraine joining NATO. And this is a very different things, whereas we, we actually don't understand why they are different things, because if we look at how Russia has presented its uh, it's actually uh, intentions to wage a war against Ukraine. The major intention, uh, the so-called intention, was that they were really unsatisfied with NATO's expansion. And uh, when you look at um, the months which preceded the war in 2021, when Russia was presenting this, uh, its security, one might say, ultimatum to the West, the key idea was that actually Europe has to be divided again between American and Russian interests and NATO should pull back uh, to the borders of the early 90s and uh, Russian security alliance should rather expand. So we see the country which is going on and Russia-NATO direct frontier increasing dramatically. What, what, what can we say about this? Um, what, what else can we say about this, Maxim? Well, of course, Peskov is saying what he's saying just because I think... Um, they know that they have failed, but they cannot admit it, not to their own uh, population, not to the international community. They need to keep the poker face, so to say, in order you know, not to come off as defeated. But in fact, uh, first of all, there are other voices from within Russia, and they are equally official. For instance, there have been um, almost hysterical, I would say, statements uh, published on the social media of the um, foreign 
Ministry of Russia reacting to Finland joining NATO uh, and uh, saying that Russia is going to undertake all the necessary steps in response and basically almost threatening. So that's the first thing that testifies that this is not as, uh, well, it is not as unharmful to Russia as some officials in Russia try to present it. That's the first. Second, if we analyze how this, how Finland joining NATO um, impacts Russian security, there is a lot to talk about. First of all, as you already mentioned, the frontier, the common border of NATO and Russia is now increasingly bigger. It has essentially doubled with Finland joining NATO yesterday. So that's the first. Uh, secondly, we also need to look at the access that Russia has, or rather does not have anymore, to the Baltic Sea and to international waters. Because uh, before this, we could speak about NATO having access to these waters, Finland having access to these waters, Sweden having access to, the, to them, and Russia. So it was a bunch of different actors. Now, the access that Russia has to the sea is only through a quite narrow strait between two different and a bunch of different, I would say, NATO member states. So this is the question of a much bigger geographical and geopolitical positioning that Russia has in that region to the north. So that is quite disturbing to the Kremlin. Right, and uh, we can also um, we can also see how quick, how fast the, the, the Finland's NATO accession was and uh, really should follow, of course, the Sweden accession to a NATO that are more, more difficult with Turkey. Uh, but uh, maybe it's, it's, it's too early to say, but we, we see the trend, however, uh, anyway. And uh, we see that, uh, that the, basically the post-Cold War uh, world order is being undone because the war neutral states um, relics of the post-Cold War epoch, Finland, Sweden and Austria, uh, which uh, actually were kind of seen as a, as a intermediate or buffer states, uh, especially when we t- talk about Finland and Austria, during the Cold War. So not is, uh, now it is being undone, and uh, we see actually that the Western world is, uh, is, uh, is uh, reinforced is is one of the results of this Russian invasion. So it's it's um, definitely the uh, the result which is contrary to what Russia inspired, what what Russia wanted. So maybe from this war, if if it had really some rational uh, rational ideas about this, uh, what can we say about Sweden? So uh, what are the difficulties? What are the obstacles in its accession? And uh, uh, do we have any calendar? How c- and when Sweden can join NATO? Well, the calendar is hazy at this point because everything, uh, the protraction with Sweden's succession is um, connected to the Turkey's dissenting opinion, let me call that, uh, let me call it that, um, about uh, Sweden. Turkey basically is using the procedures in NATO, the unanimity, the need in unanimity uh, to solve some problems with uh, in bilateral relations, basically, with Sweden, uh, and to make Sweden, for instance, stop providing harbor to um, safe haven to some politicians, opposition politicians, 
um, in ex politicians in exiles from Turkey that Turkey would like, for instance, to indict at home, etc., etc. And we cannot know uh, how definitely this timeline will go. But I share your optimism that we see the trend and that possibly this will be uh, sorted out. Because, uh, first of all, I think that Turkey is not going to push it unwisely far. Because the bigger the bigger interest here is to provide for the security of the bloc rather than to provide for the interest of a single member state. That's the first one. And secondly, this entire story with uh, the accession of these several states to NATO, Finland and Sweden, it is something that reverses the fears of, for instance, Mr. Macron, who said a couple of years back about the uh, cerebral of NATO, right? So he was talking about the idea of NATO as a bloc flagging down, and now in the face of Russian invasion into Ukraine, uh, there is a revived sense that NATO should not only be kept, but also be developed in its ideas, in its uh, forces, in its strengths, in its potential. And the entire NATO bloc, all the 31 as of today, member states are not going to let to water this down, this process down, as it has already been started, just because one member state, Turkey, is against. I'm sure there will be negotiations, maybe couloir negotiations, maybe there will be some trade-offs, but I think we'll eventually be there when Sweden will be in the bloc. Right, and another interesting thing is that uh, we all remember this concept of Finlandization, of Ukraine, and uh, according to some estimates, it was also pronounced by Macron uh, uh, at some point. Uh, I, I don't remember exactly whether it was a, a before this big invasion or just after that Macron denied it, uh, the, the idea of Finlandization. Finlandization actually meant that Ukraine could be a kind of a state as Finland was uh, between, this uh, between these two blocks during the Cold War, that... Uh, it would be allowed to have its democracy, it would be allowed to have its uh, its internal developments um, and uh, actually uh, not really dependent on Russia, but uh, keeping its uh, neutrality and being in between and then uh, probably rejecting or accepting the occupation of some of its territories. Now we see that Finlandization probably has an absolutely different uh, term right now and this is ironic how it actually turned out okay of course we will follow these developments and uh, this is true that this invasion uh, actually as as we said um, brought the results which are contrary to russia's initial uh, objectives uh, nato has enlarged russia wanted to stop nato enlargement or even to force nato to pull back nato has enlarged uh, nato has strengthened itself it it really went out of this uh, cerebral death and the more cerebral, uh, if you if if we use the, the term of Macron, it, it also uh, Russia tried to weaken Ukraine. It actually strengthened Ukraine. It uh, solidified Ukraine. It's consolidated Ukraine, and Russia was spreading this propaganda that Ukraine is full of Western weapons, NATO weapons, which will make a war against Russia, which will make the Ukraine to invade Russia or Russian-occupied territories. Well, of course, at that time, let's say two years ago, it was a nightmare. It was a, a crazy thing. It was a pure propaganda. But now it's uh, it's a reality that Russia has produced with its own actions. Uh, this is back to the question whether Russia 
does have a strategy, does have a foreign policy strategy. It tries to have a foreign policy strategy, and therefore uh, we have seen also the uh, new foreign, the, the draft of the new foreign policy doctrine. And uh, I don't know if you, Maxim, have read through it. I have read uh, through it a little bit. Uh, and there are two things that really, really, uh, I would say, uh, draw my attention. The first is how much we have the words in this text, which have which mean nothing actually, which are ridiculous, which uh, which are presenting something that Russia is certainly not doing. Uh, it's all these words about justice, all the words about international law, all the words about UN Charter that Russia really wants the world to, to, to adhere to a UN charter and, 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 and everything else. Another thing uh, which is clearly is in, is in the doctrine is that we see that uh, the final victory of the so-called Eurasianist uh, ideology in Russia. And uh, even in the, the wording was, was uh, quite pecu- peculiar because Russia is named in this uh, document the state uh, civilization. So Russia presumes that it forms a separate civilization different from the Western civilization, from, uh, I don't know, Muslim civilizations, from, uh, from uh, Middle East civilizations, from Asian civilizations, or whatever else. So we see that in that these uh, very unfortunate, I think, uh, ideas which were present in, in, in several intellectual uh, currents in the 20th century, uh, up until uh, Samuel Huntington in his Clash of Civilizations. But it, where it stems from, it stems from the so-called Eurasianist theory, which was born in Russia in 1920s and was reborn um, at the late uh, 20th century with such figures as Alexander Dugin, the notorious Russian philosopher who actually uh, uh, bases lots of his thinking on the far-right, far-conservative uh, thinking, including people like Karl Schmidt, uh, the, f- the famous German uh, philosopher very close to Nazi regime. And uh, this is, I mean, this is very, uh, very peculiar, very important, I think, to know that. Uh, how Russia not only uh, shows that, okay, it shows that we are not the enemies of the West, etc. But it is clear that the, 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 the doctrine tries to separate Russia from the West and point at China and India as key partners instead of Europe or United States. But uh, this very concept of state civilization is, uh, is also shows how absolutely crazy uh, non-scientific ideas, uh, ideological uh, fantasies are entering into a legal documents and um, this is this is remarkable maybe you have some other impressions or some different impressions about this document i can only add to what you said uh, you have enumerated a bunch of uh, different uh, scholars from the past and their concepts uh, how this how they are presumably reflected in uh, in this document of russia's and i would i think i would add one more uh, surname to that um, the thing that I was reminded of when I read the excerpts from the strategy, uh, from this concept, uh, is this concept of uh, uh, Heartland by Mr. Mackinder, the geopolitical scholar from back in the day. I think it was maybe a day, uh, I think it was early 1900s when he presented his uh, uh, geographical axis of history, 
And so what I now see in this concept is basically that Russia is trying to present itself as a kind of heartland for the entire world. For instance, Russia does not lack any ambition in the concept, in, in the language that, that it uses in the uh, concept to describe its place in the world. It uh, describes itself, and I quote, um, as a unique uh, state civilization, this you have already said, and a vast Eurasian and Euro-Pacific state. So this is quite a lot to, to, to be ambitious about. And this even reminds me somewhat of the mythological Middle Kingdom, uh, the way that China was um, historically described and how China saw itself, you know, uh, thousands of years ago. So this, is, this says something about the ambition, but it's, it, is, is this ambition not childish when compared, uh, when verified with the potential and with the possibilities of uh, of a state. And, uh, and also another thing that I paid big attention to is that is the reactionary nature uh, of Russia's actions, which are stipulated in this, um, in this concept. Russia basically says that we only use power and re respond with power if we or our interests are insulted by other, by other actors in the international arena. So Russia, it's almost like Russia pre-programs the only scenario in its concept that we're going to use uh, power only if the United States or the entire West or anybody else moves against us. And this is really a slap in the face of Ukrainians, a slap in the face of everybody uh, around the world uh, against the backdrop of what's happening in Ukraine now, because it's Russia who started this. Russia crossed the border with, with the, you know, unimaginable number of troops into a, a peaceful and sovereign nation. And now it says that we only are acting and will only be acting in response. This is nothing less but childish. Well, this is more than childish. This is a blatant lie. And uh, when, I, when I look into this document, when I read it, it's, it's remarkable how many lies are there, how many, how many words which actually mean nothing. Again, when... When Russia is saying that they're actually maintaining the justice in the world order, uh, interestingly, mm -hmm. that Ukraine is not really mentioned in this document, as if it doesn't exist. And this is also very psychoanalytical because Russia knows that Ukraine is now poses a a um, a, a big problem for Russia's own existence, and this is what uh, Russian propagandists, some um, opposition propagandists, let's let's call them in that way, like people like Girkin or others are openly saying and uh, they understand that Ukrainian army right now is a deadly threat for Russia uh, for Russian army for Russian uh, soldiers and uh, but Ukraine is not really mentioned Ukra Ukraine is also mentioned in the context of this uh, controversy with the West where there is this euphemism Ukrainian direction so the problem is mm -hmm. on the Ukrainian somewhere in the Ukrainian direction some somewhere in the Ukrainian vector yeah, this is uh, the problem. Is you mentioned Mackinder? The problem is, uh, as I see it, is that uh, actually, uh, uh, if I understand this Mackinder or this British uh, Anglo-Saxon tradition of of seeing things, it was actually this geopolitical thought was born from the idea that look, yeah, there is Eurasia, there is a very important continent, it's very strong. And therefore, uh, in, in principle, we are weaker than that. We have lesser territory, less lesser number of people, and therefore we, we have to be prepared. 
to uh, to counteract it, and therefore we have to do something. So, so the, the the thinking is out of weakness, out of the initial weakness, geographical, geo geostrategical weakness. If you start your thinking from the idea that you are great, uh, and Russia always start its thinking from the idea that it is great. Uh, here we have great problem, I think, because uh, it it really uh, it really it 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 uh, it, be it makes you blind before the challenges, and uh, I I do hope that Russia is waiting for this destiny because the last time we have this geopolitical thinking out of the concept of the continental empire, and also this geopolitics, big geopolitics. Uh, was the Germans, the, the Germans conservatives and, and then the German uh, G German Nazis who were also dreaming about uh, this Eurasian uh, continental empire. And they failed, but uh, of course they brought lots of crimes and lots of death with them. Okay, uh, another event, uh, recent event, uh, actually is that from the 1st of April, Russia took over the chairmanship at the UN Security Council. What can you say about this? Well, this is and just another episode in the series of uh, rhetoric um, about how legal and how moral is it for Russia to be in the United Nations, in the Security Council, um, how moral for it, is it for, for Russia to be its permanent member state and now to be presiding uh, over of the Security Council. Because procedurally, uh, Strictly speaking, there is no uh, not not a big problem because this is something that this is the rotating presidency, and this is something that would happen, uh, you know, just according to the to technical terms. But how? But if taken at a given moment, uh, this comes off as so much hypocritical with regard to the entire international system and the UN system within that context, that uh, it once again brings brings about the conversation about the need to reform the United uh, Nations and particularly the Security Council. There are several uh, several aspects of those uh, much-needed reforms that can be mentioned, starting with uh, this big discussion that Ukrainian diplomats have launched some time back about the legality at all of Russia being a UN member state. And uh, while this may be dubious, and uh, because this is a very complicated issue with uh, Russia being the... Uh, the successor of the Soviet Union, etc. While this is dubious, there are much more unequivocal imperatives. Like, for instance, the situation right now uh, with Russia's invasion into Ukraine demonstrates uh, how obsolete the idea of the permanent membership in the Security Council is. Because now we have the situation when one permanent member is an aggressor, and this is basically reflected in the UN General Assembly resolutions. But uh, still, uh, no reprisals, I would say, are uh, effected against Russia. And there is another permanent member state, China, that has a very shady position on that. So we basically have a split between member states who need to be unanimous to, have, to keep their role bowling effectively in the international arena to solve crisis. So that's the second thing. And the third thing, of course, is this presidency, which is just unmoral. Uh, or because uh, not only it is de facto wrong, Russia has used it and already declared that it would use this month of presidency to organize an array of um, different events 
under the, uh, under the auspices of the Security Council, under which, as we have already found out, Russia is going to try, for instance, to whitewash its practice to uh, deport children from the occupied territories of Ukraine to Russia, to split families, to split children from their parents, and to do all those things for which President Putin uh, and uh, his officer for uh, for children's affair, affairs have been indicted by the International Criminal Court. Uh, not just, maybe strictly speaking, not for the time being indicted, but issued the court order, the arrest order for. But still, this, these are th- serious things. And this demonstrates how the system is broken. Yeah, and Ukraine talks a lot about this illegality, illegitimacy of Russia's membership. Let, let us remind our listeners that, uh, interestingly enough, during this um, cunning, cunningness of, of Stalin, uh, Ukraine and Belarus were among the founding members of the UN, while Russia was not. Soviet Union was presented by three uh, actors, by three subjects, the Soviet Union itself, then Belarus and Ukraine. And uh, when Soviet Union collapsed, uh, actually what, what Russia had to do was to reapply to uh, being a UN member. And this uh, should have been voted by the General Assembly and the, the credentials should, be, uh, should have been handled. So all the procedure. What, what happened uh, instead, it was just a letter, I think it was a letter by Boris Yeltsin, the, uh, the Russian leader, after the collapse of the Soviet Union, which was distributed at the UN, and um, based upon this letter, Russia just has taken over not only the membership of the United Nations, but also the the place in the UN Security Council. Another thing is that initially these five members of the permanent members of the UN Security Council were the uh, nuclear powers, and since then the number of nuclear powers has increased. So the question is... Um, why there was no change in these five permanent members. Yeah, and I agree with you that th- there is something wrong in this. On the other hand, we cannot really change it uh, unless we have support of a big number of uh, states in the General Assembly and uh, maybe China as well. Can we can we change it without China? Well, there is, there is doubt about this. So um, the problem is that the United Nations doesn't really work, uh, but uh, there are also doubts whether we can reform it or it will just collapse as as the League of Nations and at one moment we will need another institution which which probably based, if I was dreaming, (laughs) it would, would probably be based upon the model of the European Union which goes away and away of this unanimity idea. Uh, and more and more to other procedural decision solutions like qualified majority or wherever else. You talked about China, and let's let's finalize our conversation with China uh, because it's uh, uh, the destiny of uh, Russia's invasion of Ukraine, of Russia itself maybe uh, depends so much on China. So, what we can we can say about China this week? So the recent developments basically belong to uh, two different uh, dimensions, I would say. The first one is rather d- domestic uh, for China, but it can help uh, foresee how China may or may not behave in the international arena for the you know for the days and months to come. Uh, because uh, f- for around the last month, there have been numerous indications that. Uh, 
and these indications come from Xi Jinping's um, rhetoric, from his statements before the Parliament of China, etc., uh, that uh, China should be basically preparing to to war. And it's not as if there was a specific call for uh, you know let's go and annex Taiwan tomorrow. There is there are no not too many specific details as to who are, who they are going to be warring against, etc. But but it is visible that Xi Jinping is trying to uh, reform and make more uh, prepared the entire system, the the security system of China. Uh, it goes all the way from his calls on his generals to be ready to go to war and all the way to organizational issues. Like, for instance, there have been orders to uh, build, uh, to, to secure, to basically secure bomb shelters across the Taiwan, Taiwan Strait, Strait uh, on the mainland China, which which uh, makes someone, which makes one thing. I think that um, China is preparing for warfare in that particular region. So that's the first. And of course, there are different legal developments. Like, for instance, they, uh, from what I hear, there are uh, bills pa- passed and amended in China to make the process of mobilizing the reservists uh, easier, swifter, more effective. Uh, and uh, this, of course, is very telling. And against the backdrop, it is interesting how, if I mean, if China is indeed having this immediate agenda of its own, uh, how it is going to uh, behave with regard to Ukraine and uh, how much it is going to uh, support Russia. Because these developments uh, with regard to Ukraine and Russia could be quite different and not necessarily pleasant for Ukraine. So that's the first, uh, the first dimension, and the second dimension is the attempts of diplomacy that are being undertaken these very days um, by several European politicians. Uh, that would be President Macron of France and uh, Ursula von der Leyen, President of the European Commission, who have uh, for now flown to um, to China, and there are no immediate um, for several days. I think their visit will uh, has started today and will um, end in a couple of days' time on Friday. So there are no pending results as of now, and I think we'll touch on, upon them when they come out in our next episodes. But um, there is already information that one of the topics on the agenda is going to be uh, von der Leyen's and Macron's efforts to convince China to um, participate in settlement uh, in peace settlement in Ukraine, basically on Ukraine's side, taking Ukraine's side. And, uh, well, as for me, I, I would like to learn your opinion on this, because as, uh, as according to my opinion, I am quite skeptical as to the possibility of um, uh, success in this factor, because what I don't think that Europe, even as a whole, or just separate countries like France, I don't think they can offer China something uh, that could outweigh the benefits of, of keeping Russia as a winner of this war for China. So um, Ch- Russia, uh, China needs uh, Russia by its side as a source of resources, uh, as a buffer uh, between itself and Europe and the West. 
so I don't think that I'm quite skeptical of what can come up, come out of this diplomacy. But of course, each effort counts. So we'll have to see next week in our next episode. And in the meantime, what do you think about this? Well, I think it's 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 really uh, unrealistic that China will be on Ukraine's side or on the Western side. What is realistic is that China uh, keeps uh, neutrality uh, or just unpronounced neutrality or real neutrality in the way how it votes in the General Assembly, for example. And that would mean that China does not supply uh, equipment to Russia, uh, military equipment, non-military mm-hmm. equipment. This is what I think we, um, this diplomacy need to aspire. If it fails, that means that actually the world is going to a new polarization. And this is also the scenario that people in the West are very reluctant to accept, but um, it's probably what is going on. We have, we have discussed this with you when uh, simultaneously there was a visit of China's leader to Russia and Japan's leader to Ukraine. We see this polarization in Asia and uh, not only not only in the other parts of the world. So unfortunately, this is where we're going. And, um, and that doctrine that we have discussed that actually also polarizes the world and uh, puts Russia in the position of an anti-Western power, this is also a pronouncing, pronouncing document. I don't really think that Russia's society is, pr- is, is, is ready for this. I, I do think that... Russia has much more, much bigger number of European routes than it thinks, uh, and and um, but uh, its leaders are heading to a, a different, a different direction. So maybe we are entering this new world of increased polarization, and indeed the the diplomacy I think will need to try to avoid it, the European or American or any other diplomacy, and maybe keep uh, China neutral in this war we will see what will happen of course okay so this was our uh, episode of the uh, cycle of our series around ukraine uh, of our podcast explaining ukraine my name is Volodymyr yermolenko i'm ukrainian philosopher and journalist chief editor of ukraine world i was joined by maxim panchenko uh, analyst and journalist at ukraine world ukraine world is brought to you by internews ukraine one of the biggest ukrainian media ngos let me remind you that you can support us on patreon.com slash ukraine world and uh, you can support our volunteer trips to the frontline areas in which we are helping civilians and uh, soldiers uh, at paypal ukraine.resistinggmail.com uh, stay with us and stand with ukraine